Part four of Washington and the Riddle of Peace by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Unknown Soldier of the Great War. Washington, November eleven. Britain, France, Italy, and now the people of the United States have honored and buried the bodies of certain unknown soldiers, each according to their national traditions and circumstances. Canada, I hear, is to follow suit. So the world expresses its sense that in the great war the only hero was the common man. Poor Hans and poor Ivan lie rotting yet under the soil of a hundred battlefields, bones and decay, rags of soiled uniform and fragments of accoutrements, still waiting for monuments and speeches. Yet they too were mothers' sons, kept step, obeyed orders, went singing into battle, and knew the strange intoxication of soldierly fellowship and the sense of devotion to something much greater than themselves. In Arlington Cemetery, soldiers of the Confederate South lie honored equally with the Federal dead, the right or wrong of their cause altogether forgotten, and only their sacrifice remembered. A time will come when we shall cease to visit the crimes and blunders and misfortunes of their governments upon the common soldiers and poor folk of Germany and Russia, when our bitterness will die out, and we shall mourn them as we mourn our own, as souls who gave their lives and suffered greatly in one universal misfortune. A time will come when these vast personifications of conflict, the unknown British soldier, the unknown American soldier, the unknown French soldier, etc., will merge into the thought of a still greater personality, the embodiment of twenty million separate bodies and of many million broken lives, the unknown soldier of the Great War. It would be possible, I suppose, to work out many things concerning him. We could probably find out his age and his height and his weight, and such like particulars very nearly. We could average figures and estimates that would fix such matters within a very narrow range of uncertainty. In race and complexion, I suppose he would be mainly North European. North Russian, German, Frankish, North Italian, British and American elements would all have the same trend toward a tallish, fairish, possibly blue-eyed type. But also there would be a strong Mediterranean streak in him, Indian and Turkish elements, a fraction of Mongolian, and an infusion of African blood, brought in not only through the American-coloured troops, but by the free use by the French of their Senegalese. None of these factors would be strong enough to prevent his being mainly northern, and much the same mixture altogether as the American citizen of 1950 is likely to be. He would be a white man with a touch of Asian and a touch of color. And he would be young, I should guess about twenty-one or twenty-two, still boyish, probably unmarried rather than married, with a father and mother alive and with the memories and imaginations of the home he was born in, still fresh and vivid in his mind when he died. We could even, I suppose, figure in general terms how he died. He was struck in daylight amid the strange noises and confusion of a modern battlefield, by something out of the unknown, bullet, shell fragment, or the like. At the moment he had been just a little scared, everyone is a little scared on a battlefield, but much more excited than scared, and trying hard to remember his training, and to do his job properly. 
When he was hit, he was not so much hurt at first as astonished. I should guess that the first sensation of a man hard hit on a battlefield is not so much pain as an immense chagrin. I suppose it would be possible to go on and work out how long it was before he died after he was hit, how long he suffered and wondered, how long he lay before his ghost fell in with that immense still muster in the shades, those millions of his kind who had no longer country to serve nor years of life before them who had been cut off as he had been cut off suddenly from sights and sounds and hopes and passions but rather let us think of the motives and feelings that had brought him in so gallant and cheerful a frame of mind to this complete sacrifice what did the unknown soldier of the great war think he was doing when he died what did we we people who got him into the great war and who are still in possession of this world of his what did we persuade him to think he was doing, and what is the obligation we have incurred to him to atone for his death, for the life and sunlight he will know no more? He was still too young a man to have his motives very clear. To conceive what moved him and what he desired is a difficult and disputable task. M. George Noblemare, at a recent meeting of the League of Nations Assembly, declared that he had heard French lads whisper, vive la france and die he suggested that german boys may have died saying colonel say to my mother vive la allemagne possibly but the french are trained harder in patriotism than any other people i doubt it was the common mood it was certainly not the common mood among the british i cannot imagine many english boys using their last breath to say rule britannia or king george for merry england some of our young men swore out of vexation and fretted some and it was not always the youngest became childish again and cried touchingly for their mothers many maintained the ironical flippancy of our people to the end many died in the vein of a young miner from durham with whom i talked one morning in the trenches near martinpuich trenches which had been badly strafed overnight war he said was a beastly job but we've got to clean this up that is the spirit of the lifeboat man or fireman that is the great spirit i believe that was far nearer to the true mind of the unknown soldier than any tin-pot vivaing of any flag nation or empire whatever i believe that when we generalize the motives that took the youth who died in the great war out of the light of life and took him out at precisely the age when life is most desirable we shall find that the dominating purpose was certainly no narrow devotion to the glory or expansion of any particular country but a wide-spirited hostility to wrong and oppression that is clearly shown by the nature of the appeals that were made in every country to sustain the spirit of its soldiers if national glory and patriotism had been the ruling motive of these young men then manifestly their propaganda would have concerned themselves mainly with national honor and flag idolatry but they did not do so nowadays flags fly better on parades and stoop fronts than on battlefields the war propagandas dwelt steadily and insistently upon the wickedness and unrighteousness of the enemy upon the dangers of being overwhelmed by foreign tyranny and particularly upon the fact that the enemy had planned and made the war 
These boys fought best on that, everywhere. So far as the common men in every belligerent country went, therefore, the Great War was a war against wrong, against force, against war itself. Whatever it was in the thoughts of the diplomatists, it was that in the minds of the boys who died. In the minds of these young and generous millions who are personified in the unknown soldier of the Great War, in the minds of the Germans and Russians who fought so stoutly, quite as much as the Americans, British, French or Italians, the war was a war to end war. And that marks our obligation. Every speech that is made beside the graves of these unknown soldiers, who lie now in the comradeship of youthful death, every speech which exalts patriotism above peace, which hints at reparations and revenges, which cries for mean alliances to sustain the traditions of the conflict, which exalts national security over the common welfare, which wags the glorious flag of this nation or that in the face of the universal courage and tragedy of mankind, is an insult and an outrage upon the dead youth who lies below. He sought justice and law in the world as he conceived these things, and whoever approaches his resting place unprepared to serve the establishment of a world law and world justice, breathing the vulgar cants and catchwords of a patriotism outworn and of conflicts that he died to end, commits a monstrous sacrilege and sins against all mankind. End of Part 4